So we're reading this morning from Isaiah chapter 59 verse 14 to chapter 60 verse 6. It can be found on page 742 in your Bibles. It's another great um, passage and I'm looking forward to the, uh, to the sermon this morning. Verse um, 14, so justice is driven back. And righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay. Wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands that are due from the west. People will fear the name of the Lord. And from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants. From this time on and forever, says the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar. And your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah. And from all Sheba will come. Bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And let all the people of the Lord say, Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you uh, with us here today. If we haven't met, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Colonel Light Gardens. And if you're new with us today or been away for a bit, we are closing in on the final three of uh, 18 sermons from the book of Isaiah that we did in two chunks uh, this year and last. Uh, as we look across Isaiah, uh, he exposes humanity's heart problem at its core. He mocks the futility of idolatry 
which is that kind of human gravitational pull towards trusting in and worshipping anything other than the one true God. Then against this kind of dark backdrop, Isaiah builds in a picture of one sent from God coming to rescue his people. Uh, One way to think about Isaiah or to look at its kind of different sections is to think of it as our prophet painting three very different portraits of this coming one that together, when you look at them, give us a comprehensive, well-rounded view of the one who, from Isaiah's perspective at least, was yet to come from God and walk this earth, fulfilling his God-given task. Uh, In the first half of the book that we looked at last year in Isaiah, he paints this first image through the lens of kingship in the royal sense, contrasting this coming one against the human line of kingship in Israel, highlighting how kingship should be, where kings bring justice and fairness in full obedience to the word of God, leading the people to walk in God's ways. And then as we've got underway this year, in chapters 40 to 55, we see Isaiah paint the second picture of this coming one as a servant coming to suffer on behalf of his people to bring salvation, peace, a great hope and joy to our hearts. Now we look back on Isaiah today and courtesy of uh, Jesus' own words and the New Testament writers we see that this one Isaiah spoke of was our Lord Jesus Christ. And kind of the climactic and most treasured kind of verses in Isaiah for many Christians come from the second portrait of Jesus as the suffering servant, pierced for our transgressions, explaining the meaning and significance at great depth of Jesus' path to the cross for us, well in advance of Jesus walking this world. It's rightly one of the most cherished parts of the Old Testament. And we've remembered it this morning in communion, this image of the suffering saviour Jesus on the cross that has been the defining image of Christianity for almost 2,000 years as we see God's love for humankind displayed so emphatically as Jesus hung on the cross. Uh, Liza, if you just pop up the uh, picture on the screen... Uh, I think this kind of montage, (laughs) so it reminds me we need to get a a new and much brighter globe uh, (laughs) for our projector. Let me describe that to you. You (laughs) Always looks great on my screen sitting at the desk. Anyway, um, it does capture how uh, our sort of dominant pictures of Jesus you might be able to make out there. There's not uh, too many images of uh, King Jesus there, but Suffering servant Jesus on the cross, that's pretty central in terms of, you know, the different statues and images there. Um, but I also like this photo in another way, is it catches, captures some of the many perspectives our world has of Jesus, uh, sort of these kind of images that paint Jesus as the Holy One who lived a perfect life, which of course he did, gentle Jesus holding a lamb, teacher Jesus, reflective Jesus, last supper Jesus... Uh, Pop culture, bobblehead Jesus pronouncing a blessing, Uh, ultimate wingman Jesus, Uh, Jesus as your first love alongside French fries uh, in the bottom left-hand corner there. Yet not only in the photo, but wider culture 
and in the modern church, there's one image of Jesus that's noticeably absent. And it's warrior King Jesus. The third portrait Isaiah paints for us in the much less read, the much less love, the much less preached upon final part of Isaiah. We'll be looking at this final portrait introduced today over the next few weeks as this warrior king comes with vengeance, pouring out God's wrath on his adversaries. But to grasp a little of just how shocking this picture is for us, let me give you a kind of flash forward, uh, just a couple of chapters to Isaiah 63. So just, if you've got your Bibles open there, flick over to page 745 to Isaiah 63. Uh, Grab one if you haven't had a chance yet, and I'll pop it up uh, on screen as well. I'll read to you just the first three verses of chapter 63, where Isaiah paints quite vividly his kind of third picture of warrior King Jesus. As Isaiah says, Who is this coming from Edom, from Bosra, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Why are your garments red like those treading out the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. Blood-stained garments, Jesus, is neither in that photo on screen, if you could see it, or our wider culture, nor generally in our hearts in churches. Yet it is Isaiah's final sort of defining portrait of the one that we now know as Jesus. So as we set off today in our Bible reading, I hope there's lots of questions already that you want answers on. And firstly, if you're just checking out who Jesus is or thinking about Jesus and church for the first time in a long time, a very warm welcome to you. You are the reason we're here today, the reason Jamie said before we sent off half of our church family that we dearly love uh, to start a new church family at Tonsley. And God's kindness is already 25 new households that we hadn't met yet uh, that are there part of uh, Tonsley today. So if you're here considering Jesus, we're very much on uh, about sharing what is ultimately the best news that you can ever hear, the gospel, as we call it, the good news of Jesus. Now, challenging day to be first to be with us for sure, but my Hope is for you that you'll find this portrait of warrior King Jesus, one that you just can't ignore, that will stick in your mind. And you really want to find out more in the coming weeks and months. And we're a church that would love to help you do that. So you'll be very much in my mind today as I preach this sermon. I'll try and look after you and uh, guide you through our time together in a challenging passage. But for the follower of Jesus, the question I'd like you to consider today is this. In what way is my understanding of God and his ways insufficient without this portrait of warrior King Jesus clear in my mind? And how does it change what I value, what I love, how I live today? Because right thinking about God changes our convictions. It shapes our life together as God's people. It rightly orders our passions 
It changes our habits and our priorities as we begin each new day. So that's the question. In what way is my understanding of God and his ways insufficient if I kind of erase this final portrait of Jesus from my mind? So Bible apps open to Isaiah 59.14 or page 742 of the Bibles on your seats and there's an outline in your leaflets of where uh, we're going. So let's get to it. Uh, If you look at your outline, uh, you'll see I've titled this bit the kind of ultimate before and after. Uh, After the heady heights of suffering servant uh, Jesus uh, painted for us in Isaiah, Isaiah returns to our world of brokenness. Uh, false worship and disorder, and gives us God's assessment of it all. Uh, Isaiah then looks forward beyond the suffering servant's life, death, and resurrection to a time still future for us to where God is taking our world to show us what the conclusion of the plan will be. So as we jump in, uh, as George uh, read so well from Isaiah 59, 14, we're hearing the conclusion of God's assessment of things as they stand at present, as God views our world. And as you probably picked up the vibe, it's not pretty from verse 14. As Isaiah gives God's verdict, so justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased, and there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. Tommy, I've got a few more photos. Do you want to close those two blinds for us? It might help people see the screen. It'd be great. As we read of God's assessment there, What God created to be central in our lives, how we relate to him and one another, the concepts of justice, truth, righteousness, honesty in the way our world works, really are beyond our experience. Now, we make a fair show of being committed to justice, just as long as it's exacted on those that we deem to be the bad guys, not ourselves. Uh, We make a great show of valuing truth, Uh, just as long as it's kind of our truth that kind of suits us, not necessarily God's revealed truth about himself and how we operate. In a poetic turn of phrase, Isaiah paints the idea of these concepts being at a distance from us, standing far back, standing outside the door. And I was looking for an image that kind of helped us kind of respond with the emotional reaction that is described here Uh, as uh, kind of God's summary of as he looks upon his world. I'll pop it up on the screen, and it's one of, I think, the most iconic and disturbing photos of the 20th century. It was taken in 1993, and it's known as The Vulture and the Boy, with this child looking to get to a UN aid station in South Sudan. Uh, The photo was taken at a long lens from quite a distance, and the photographer didn't intervene. Now, it was printed in newspapers around the world, and in the pre-internet, pre-social media era, it triggered a massively heated debate about who should have helped. Conflicting accounts arose, 
uh, arose and it provoked much soul-searching across the world as it made suffering far off in a distant land feel deeply personal. Now, it was clarified that the boy did survive and the photographer won a Pulitzer Prize and aid agencies around the world used it to motivate many to give financially to the poor. Sadly, however, the photographer sunk into a deep depression and took his own life some four years after winning the award. Such was his trauma of both the incident and the debate uh, that raged afterwards. So we see a photo like that and it generates emotion. We are outraged. We're saddened. We can all see that there's something deeply wrong with our world. We blame war and conflict. We blame governments, aid agencies, droughts. And we give a little personally to foster the image that we're generous. Yet as the outrage fades and we move on, we prefer to keep such problems at a distance rarely sacrificing much of our lifestyle for another. And the reality is, to some degree, each one of us is entangled in our world's injustice. None of us from our own volition seek righteousness before God. We are at heart self-focused and we find sin far too enticing. Every home, every human heart, every community of people, each culture plays some part in suppressing the truth of God in aid of giving ourselves a more favourable narrative to live by, to alleviate our guilt and to help us suppress the internal battle. Isaiah points out that our penchant for truth suppression is so ingrained in the world that even those who try try and break out and try and do better, departing from evil, make themselves prey for those who use their power to abuse the goodness of others to their own ends. Isaiah's answers here in our passage today, the world's kind of question as it stands off and says, is God really there and if so, does he care? Isaiah answers that question very clearly with a very unpopular answer saying, God is there, he's not indifferent And as he looks on our world, he is incensed. God is appalled that other than making a few token efforts, there's no one really intervening to make change. And it triggers one almighty reaction. As Isaiah looks forward beyond our time to when the warrior king comes, read with me from the second verse of verse 16. Speaking of Jesus, we know now, he says, so his own arm, God's power achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to what they have done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. Isaiah uses a metaphor of God kind of dressing himself for battle to explain how God will reveal himself to the world as the righteous one, bringing both salvation to his people and vengeance on his foes. 
So we've had, you know, more than 55 chapters now of sort of hearing about sort of God coming, intervening, bringing salvation to the very ends of the earth. And after that picture is well established and loved and treasured, we hear also at the same time, God will bring his judgment and vengeance to the ends of the earth as well. He will repay the islands their due, is his turn of phrase. And up until this point, he's been saying that his salvation will go to the far islands. To islands as yet unknown in Isaiah's time, like our island home here in Australia. We now see the picture complete through Jesus, rightful king, suffering and servant and warrior that God will bring both his salvation and his justice to the very ends of the earth. And if we're all caught up in different ways in the lack of justice, truth, righteousness and honesty, well, it prompts the question, who gets salvation and who gets vengeance? As God's glory flows across the earth like a flash flood down an outback riverbed that's been dry beyond living memory is kind of the imagery that Isaiah paints with. And verse 20 gives us the answer. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob, who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. Repentance, we hear, is the determinative factor. It is those who acknowledge their lack of righteousness, how we all have a limited commitment to justice, how we all like to follow our own truth, as is current to put it, rather than the truth. Those that take up the offer of salvation that comes without cost to us, who find mercy and grace, forgiveness, receiving an internal inheritance with joy and thanksgiving, because suffering servant Jesus has paid the cost already, bearing the full weight of God's wrath on that lonely hill upon the cross. For those who turn to God's suffering servant Jesus, in repentance, God says this. Read with me from verse 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. We were remembering God's covenant, by the way, as we did communion this morning. As for me, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children, on the lips of their descendants, from this time on and forevermore, says the Lord. A covenant is a commitment, much like a contractual arrangement, and through it, God is saying to all who would come to him in repentance, I will commit myself to you. I will bind myself to you forever. And the spirit that's already on God's anointed saviour who speaks the very words of God, the same spirit will be with us so that God's words will be on our lips for all generations to come. God's spirit and word transform us bit by bit, day by day. We find our assurance in them that through Christ, God binds himself to us. And it's a deep, deep joy. Jesus, Isaiah's suffering servant, brings this covenant to us. As we remembered this morning with bread and juice, in Jesus' own words, after breaking the bread, he lifted up the cup of wine saying, this cup 
is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you, such as God's loving grace to us. It's kind of the hinge on which world history turns, God binding himself by covenant to those who turn to him for all eternity. Today's passage introduces this picture of warrior King Jesus. Uh, Isaiah 63, which we read a little before, develops this image in all of its fullness of God's warrior king with vivid colour. Yet between these two kind of warrior king bookends, we see what this ultimate destruction of all who oppose God brings. It brings light, joy, blessing and peace. Uh, The first six six verses we read of chapter 60 before kind of drip with this imagery of light shining in the darkness of our world as the Lord in his glory comes. Uh, The first readers of Isaiah heading into or languishing in exile under the disciplinary judgment of God would have marveled at this kind of great image of the nations coming to this light. For us, we know, courtesy of the New Testament, that It's God's one worldwide church that will one day be seen in all of its radiance with joy, with every need met with abundance as people from all tribes and nations come in. And as we read there uh, towards the end, as these nations come, so I'm I'm pulling from verse 7 here just beyond uh, reading today, they not only bring offerings to the Lord, but as they come, They're proclaiming the praise of the Lord and his goodness, telling the good news, evangelizing, singing the praises of the Lord. And all that come, their gifts, their praises, find acceptance upon the altar of God in this image, kind of beautifying his house. Uh, For those who are using uh, the daily reading guides, I was going to have one to flash around up the front. Some people would have taken those uh, weeks ago and and you might uh, have missed them. I wrote a daily reading guide to take you through uh, all of Isaiah, uh, all all of the second half of Isaiah in this series. And if you've been reading along, you would have read uh, all of uh, chapter 60 uh, on Friday. Uh, If you weren't aware we had them, there's some by the door, you can just give it a go for the last couple of weeks, particularly as we press into this very little known uh, part of Isaiah. There's such richness there in God's word, and I spent the time writing those just to try and encourage you to kind of continue to read, because God has given us today as Christians both his spirit and his word, And one of my favourite commentators, usually quite a serious guy, um, said uh, quite memorably about this whole issue. He said, without God's spirit, Christians become dry and without God's word, they get weird. I like that. (laughs) That's a tender phrase. Without God's spirit, Christians become dry. Without God's word, they get weird. So uh, there's my encouragement for you, something you remember to take a reading guide on your way out and give it a go for these last few weeks. But if you missed these passages on Friday, let me read the climax for you now as Isaiah builds this wonderful picture of blessing that Jesus, King, suffering servant and mighty warrior brings once this final battle is won. I'll read with you from chapter 60, verse 19. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, 
and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. Then all the people will be righteous and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor, says God. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. This really is the ultimate before and after. From God looking down at all the injustice, the inhumanity, the lack of righteousness and being appalled, to God bringing about at the end, destroying every last vestige of resistance against him, everything that mars our world, the abuse, the poverty, the selfishness, all of it, bringing to an end all human sin. Yet out of his great love, saving sinners who turn to him in repentance, bringing them the eternal blessings, joy, abundance, beautifying this new world with people from all nations. It's a beautiful before and after brought about by King Jesus, suffering servant Jesus who headed to the cross and warrior King Jesus who is strong enough, who is mighty enough to bring things to this appointed end, bringing vengeance and justice to the very ends of the earth. So now we've understood this passage a little, and I get it's challenging. feels weighty for you. feels weighty for me standing here looking at you as I uh, unpack it. But as we always do, we want to ask the question, well, so what for us today? How does what Isaiah shares with us change how we see our world? How does it shape our convictions, our culture here at church, our habits during the week, our hearts? Firstly, I want to speak to those who have already come to the Lord in repentance, the Christians in the room. Uh, For those considering Jesus, listen in. hope you find it really helpful, and I'll speak directly to you in a minute. For the Christian, as I've kind of wrestled with this passage, my prayer has been, as we introduce this third portrait of Jesus, warrior king, that it enlarges and transforms our view of what the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is. Warrior King Jesus, bringing God's justice swiftly, like a rushing flood to the very ends of the earth when he returns, is a world-changing event that will affect every person, every tribe, every nation. Those who have turned to Christ in repentance will find that day that they have been nobody's fool in devoting their life to him because they will find salvation and a place in the new heavens and earth as both are renewed in perfection by God. For those who reject Christ and remain in rebellion to God, there is only warrior King Jesus bringing justice and God's vengeance. For far too long... Many in God's church have bought into the lie that our trust in Christ is simply a private religious preference to be kept to ourselves and not spoken about in polite company or public life. 
Um, when I was first thinking about this passage in term three, preparing to preach on it at Tonsley, uh, I was sort of in the habit of getting up sort of super early. I find that I write the most clearly in the early hours of morning and get a few hours done uh, before breakfast with the kids. And as I was writing, news broke of the death of Queen Elizabeth, someone I've long admired and Samwise too. As I came to the RSL for some pre-breakfast sermon writing, it was kind of quite a moment, I think, in history to walk out into the darkness and lower the flags to half-mast and just have some time there in the pre-dawn in the darkness, giving thanks to God for her. She came to the throne in 1952 and at her coronation, the Queen promised three things. To govern appropriately to maintain justice and to profess the gospel of Jesus Christ. In her many speeches and television appearances, she quietly commended Christ and her life was deeply shaped by her convictions about him. It was there for all to see. And as I was kind of riding away that morning, I had the news on with the rolling coverage that would last uh, a few weeks on the news channels. And my ears pricked up when I heard Anglican Bishop Philip Aspinall interviewed about the Queen's faith on TV. I thought, this is a brilliant opportunity to share something of the gospel of Jesus with a huge audience. Sadly, he fumbled the ball badly. He let the ABC host just pigeonhole her faith as something to be talked about in hushed tones shaping her character privately. And despite such a brilliant opportunity with, you know, billions around the world grieving someone so respected, a person of gospel conviction passing to be with her Lord, with so much kind of sentiment around Elizabeth making her final journey to a better place with Philip, Aspinall just let the opportunity pass him by. God was not mentioned and certainly not the name of Jesus uttered. Nothing of the gospel was shared. I thought to myself, please, Lord, do not let me become a bishop, simply happy to have his moment in the sun, to talk about the world-changing news about Jesus as if it was some private religious preference. The gospel is so much bigger than that. We shouldn't sort of kind of buy into this private religious preference thing and we shouldn't think about it individually about me and my salvation either. I mean, that's true, but it's so much bigger. It is world-shattering news that will affect everyone. It's amazing news that God is there. He sees our world's injustice and all its pain and hurt and he has committed himself to the future of our world. We know that because of God's power and because of his love, his grace, his his undeserved kindness to us will triumph permanently with people from all races and cultures finding a place of honour at God's table. And today, God's spirit and his word flow across the world, bringing salvation, eternal life, joy and hope that will not disappoint As one of my favourite commentators puts it, Christianity is not a private preference. 
it's an uncontainable power for world renewal. Have this dual image in mind that salvation will come and cover the far islands of our world, but also will God's justice. So that no opposition, no vestige of evil remains, so that the new heavens and the new earth can be forever perfect. We need a strong king to bring this about. So as we have our moments to speak of Jesus in the office, at the school gate, at uni, school, the building site, don't buy the lie that it's some private religious preference only to be spoken of in hushed tones. Let this portrait of warrior King Jesus cure us of that at least. And as we use our time, let's put in first loving those around us building relationships with which we can share Christ, reading a good book on evangelism, inviting someone to carols, getting trained on how to read the Bible with someone. It's this portrait of warrior King Jesus that will convince you that it's worth saying no to other good things we love for the sake of sharing the gospel, which is kind of the headline idea we shared at Where To Next Dinners. And for the person considering Jesus here with us today or listening online, Warrior King Jesus is a confronting portrait to look at. And I get that it raises many questions and objections in the heart. As I said, it's my prayer for you today that it's an image that cannot be ignored and that you'll look far deeper rather than shy away. So join us over summer, join our next life series early in the new year, perhaps read the Bible with someone one-to-one. But for now, just this morning, let me have a go at answering perhaps the most common objection that we have to the idea of God's vengeance being warranted. See if you can uh, follow my line of thought. Hopefully it makes sense to you. That if, from your perspective, this is all true, If the Bible is correct and God is the loving creator of the world displaying his glory and majesty in creation as you kind of look out on those beautiful days like we had on Friday. And that out of love, this creator God gave you every moment of laughter, love, food and celebration that we enjoy. And that we all rebelled against him, preferring to be our own king, living by our rules rather than living under his loving rule if that picture is true, and then we see God in his great love send his one and only son to the cross for us so that he can lift the due penalty of death from our shoulders to show us grace and mercy, welcoming us back into a loving relationship with a place for us in his family and graciously giving us the status of being right with God, righteousness, if we reject that most gracious offer, well, what more do you expect? What else is left? Isaiah tells us that God has put a date in his diary to rid the world of all evil, all rebellion, all abuse, all poverty, all anger, all brokenness, all selfishness, all injustice, and that's a very good thing that God is committed to our world in that way. 
Such is God's love and his commitment to our world. He sees its problems and is appalled. If God has lovingly offered anyone a new place in this new perfected world, a ticket there provided at his cost, free to us. And if we brush that aside in our arrogance, sitting in mocking judgment of God and those who have committed themselves to him, or we disguise our rejection of him under a veil of apathy, passive indifference, unwilling to consider what God considers sufficient evidence that we can know him and turn to him today. If we rebel against the creator and reject the saviour he sends, what else is left but warrior King Jesus? Both the salvation of God and the vengeance of God will reach the far reaches of our globe. It will extend to its farthest islands. It's very clear in Isaiah. So the call goes out daily across the globe to earn to God. He's loving and gracious and will bind himself to you forever. You can be entirely safe today. You will be found to be nobody's fool to give yourself to a just king, a loving king, and a self-sacrificial king, and a warrior king who is strong enough to prevail against all evil, whose love will last forever, and whose grace will triumph for all eternity. I'll close there in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Uh, We thank you for your word to us in Isaiah and despite the whole mixed bag of emotions going on in our hearts at the moment, we thank you for the difficult truths, the clear truths and we thank you that as much as we in our time uh, find it challenging uh, to process that it's actually a great thing that you see uh, the many injustices, hurts and evil in our world and are appalled and have committed to doing something about that. And in your kindness, you wait patiently as your spirit and your word go out, making this offer of salvation to the farthest islands of our globe. Uh, Please, Lord, be with us as we process uh, these heavy truths today. You know our hearts. Please be kind to us by your spirit, and we uh, pray for all those who might be listening along today here or online, that um, these truths might not just be rejected out of hand, uh, but that people will explore more and ultimately come to know you as a gracious and loving and kind God who um, you know, gently ministers to and, and holds up the children of this world as uh, those who, with that childlike faith who can just turn to you out of love and be entirely safe in your hands. We thank you for the way that we see this in the life and ministry and teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray today that this good news of Jesus uh, will continue to spread rapidly across our globe and by the power of your spirit, find many hearts that respond in repentance and faith. Uh, For those of us here today who have uh, already given our lives to you, please strengthen us. Uh, Please Uh, change our convictions, our habits, our passions uh, as we process these truths to just continue each day 
each week, each month, each year, and as each decade passes, we would actually draw closer to you and more passionate about your saving purposes in this world. And it's in Jesus' precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.